0: Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message.
1: See why a a group of people like ours here at Refuge would raise their hand and say, I'm going to a week of camp. We've got these camp people here, whether they're wearing their shirts or not, and some of them are like, shoot, I didn't get the memo, it's okay. But if you're on our Royal Family Kids Camp team for this week, would you stand? And, uh, and just so you're aware, they are an extension of refuge. They go on your behalf, but refuge doesn't need the glory. The king does, because we're not the only church in town that runs this kind of thing. There are churches all over our country, and actually in the past few years, royal family has extended into other countries around the world. And so we're one small piece of the pie. But it's a big pie that we want to say, God, what is it that you want to use us for in our surrounding community? So this is our team. And so if you'll let me, I want to lead us in prayer over this team. And so if you're nearby, you feel comfortable, even stand, put your hand on someone's shoulder, and let's pray over this team this week. Heavenly Father, it is not a small task to carve out one full week of someone's life during the summertime and say, I'm going to go to camp, I'm going to give everything for myself, to serve some kids that we don't even know all of their stories, their backgrounds, their histories, but you do, and you have marked us as a team, as a church, given us the opportunity to go up the mountains and showcase your love. So God, I pray for this team that has has banded together in just a few short months from getting the green light to go. We have been trained, we have had conversations, there's nerves in the room, Some who are going for the first time, some who are going for the tenth time. And so, God, I pray that your blessing is on this group of people, not for themselves, but that your blessing would flow through them towards these kids that we get a chance to hang out with. Let us show them what you're made of so that one day they might even sing songs like we have sung this morning that you have been faithful, that you have been good. May we reshape the lies of the enemy that would love to take kids, some of the most precious ones in our communities, and tell them anything else but who they are. And so may this week be an opportunity for them to have a mountaintop experience, to come in contact with you, the love that you have for them, and may you do it through this team. I pray for moments where we might be tempted to be selfish. Help us to put ourselves at, at the side and allow you to shine through us. I pray for the moments when we're so fatigued, we don't know how we can do it. What does it mean to stay up at all nights, at all hours of the night to, to serve kids who've got all kinds of needs? But God, would you use this team, this motley crew that have said, we're interested, we're interested in being a part of what you'll do this week. And I pray for the rest of us, the rest of our refuge team and community, those who are here in person and online, that we would be praying for not just these adults that are going, but also the kids. God, you have marked this on our calendar. This is a week we want to see you work. May you bring healing. May you continue to be the God of miracles through this team. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite all of you to stand right now, because here's what I want you to do. In addition to fist bumping one another, elbow bumping, high-fiving, shaking, whatever you feel comfortable with, there's also an opportunity to get more coffee. But I've got a, a group of wristbands right here that I'm going to lay on the, the piano. There's a group of wristbands in the back. They have the actual names of the campers that we have at camp this week. First names. You can use it as a wristband. You could use it as a bookmark. You could loop it around your gear shifter in your car all week long and remember some campers name and allow them to be prayed over on a consistent basis by you. So if you want to come... You can grab them right here as you're dismissed. Kids next door, we've got stuff happening for elementary students. We've got stuff happening for teenagers in our high school and junior high program. So take a moment, greet one another, and we'll continue worship here at Refuge in just about a minute.
0: Good morning and welcome to Refuge. I'm Nikki, this is Sean, and we have some really exciting things to tell you. Sean, you want to get us started?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. It's such a great day. Worship was so good. I um, just want to share the life of Refuge with you. We're kind of a digital church, meaning we're not doing a lot of printed material, so everything you can find in the life of Refuge is found on our website at refugeoc/weekly. I think it's on a screen behind me. But if you do click on that link, it's kind of cool. We have a lot happening. We've got a blood drive happening on July 8th. We've got a worship night. I'd like for you to put that on your calendar. Worship night on July 14th. Briley is putting together a beautiful worship set. It, um, that's going to be good. We've got summer camp coming up too. So if you haven't signed up for summer camp, if you've got the teens, um, we're sending some kids up to the mountains, and they're going to have a great time, a fun, safe atmosphere. And so it's not too late to get signed up for that. So click on that link, and um, you'll find out what's happening here at Refuge. The other thing, too, is um, we we stay connected digitally. So behind me, I'm hoping there's a QR code. Those are coming back. They're kind of popular now. Remember when those were popular like 10 years ago? We made fun of them. Now what we do is I walk around in all the restaurants where the menus are, and I put the Refuge QR code over it. So everyone links up and goes, wait a second, Refuge? So I send them straight to our giving link, too. It's really cool. But for you guys, you just go straight to the QR code, put your information in. We'd love to be praying for you. If you're visiting us, we're so glad that you're here. So I'm going to bounce it back to my friend Nikki.
0: Speaking of giving and generosity, we are so grateful for all that you have done. I don't know if you guys are on our our email list, but we actually had an amazing, miraculous fundraiser week this week just for royal family. And so we are so grateful for your generosity. We were able to raise so much money to go to these kids that we are gonna go bless this week. And so we are grateful when you guys partner with us in that way. And again, it's another opportunity to get out your phone and uh, you can click on our Tithely app or you can go to our website and you can uh, give generously. I want to encourage you to do so because when you are able to invest in refuge, it goes out not just to the city of Orange, to the county of Orange County, but it goes all around the world and we're so grateful for that and uh, yeah we have so many other things that we do around here and so we want you to also while you have your phone out follow us on social media we have youtube instagram and facebook accounts and of course you can uh, check out all the things that are going on there we have a pretty amazing uh kind of atmosphere that we love to just kind of ask really fun questions like i loved last week we did like dad jokes like what's your favorite dad joke and that was a really fun uh interaction i i learned some new ones you guys so it was really great but uh, we have a lot of stuff that we have planned for you today, and we're really excited. So uh, why don't we just get uh, give a hand to Brenton while he uh, comes on up here.
1: Mm, thank you. Thank you for forcing that applause. So I appreciate that moment. I love forced moments. Hey, if you have a Bible, speaking of phones, Bibles are on your phones these days, but um, I love the fact that uh, I get to prove my math teacher wrong from high school, who said, "What do you think you're going to be walking around with a calculator in your pocket all the time?" And you're like, "Actually, guy, I am. It's on my phone." So you know what's on my phone? It's a Bible. So if you have a Bible app, if you want to turn with me, we are in the book of Mark. But if you know anything about Refuge, we tell this story often. That every single week, what guides us in our sermon preparation, and I'm not the only one who speaks here at Refuge. Pastor Nikki, Pastor Sean speak. Occasionally we'll have guest speakers that add to the mix, but we follow what's called the lectionary, and the lectionary guides us through the entire church calendar year, and it looks a little different than our 12-month calendar of January to December. For us, the Christian calendar begins right before Christmas in a season called Advent. Advent moves into the Christmas season, moves into what's called Epiphany, moves into Lent, moves into Easter, moves into Pentecost, and where we find ourselves right now, we are in what's called the low season of the year. The low season of the year is called ordinary time, so if you find it on a lectionary map anywhere, you'll see that this is the bottom portion of the year, it's green, and what people are like, it's the ordinary time, what are we supposed to do with it? And I'm always intrigued with, well, how can we see what God's doing in extraordinary ways even in ordinary time? So every week, there are four passages of scripture that guide us. One is going to be an Old Testament reading, one's a New Testament reading, one's a, a passage from the Psalms. And then one's a gospel reading. So the challenge for us as a team, every single Monday that comes, because Sunday's coming, is what is it that God wants to say this week? And as I was looking through the passages, just found the one in Mark to be the one that I sense was right for us. Right for us, for those of you going to camp. Right for us, those of you who aren't going to camp. Because the word of God speaks to us wherever we're at. So if you've got Mark chapter 5 open... We're going to begin the story in verse 21. It's a long one, so stay with me, all right? Don't check out, don't, don't be tempted to go check out our socials just yet and answer your favorite dad joke. But right here in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. At once Jesus realized, excuse me, that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, "Who touched my clothes?" I got to wonder what the disciples were thinking in that moment. Um, you see the people crowding against you?" His disciples answered, "And yet you can ask, "Who touched me?" But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing. What had happened to her came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child was not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, again, I would love to see this one happen. How did he do that? He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You got to love how Jesus works sometimes, where he knows what actually is needed in that moment after healing is like, she might be hungry. Help her out, why don't you? This is what scholars say is a Markin sandwich. I learned that phrase this week, and I wanted to give you something smart to think about. What does that even mean? Well, for the, the guy who's writing, and most authors would say, or most scholars would say, it's this person named Mark who's writing the story of Jesus in a very compact way. He does in 16 chapters what other writers like Matthew and Luke and John will take much longer to say. But he gives the story of Jesus in such a quick opportunity that there are moments for him that he squeezes s- stories together. And this is one of those. This is why they call it a and sandwich. He takes two stories And begins to tell the storyline between both of them at this very same time. You'll find it again if you continue reading the book of Mark that Mark will do this in chapter 11. And the reason he's doing it is because there's similar parallel meaning between the stories. And for us as we read this, I'm enraptured by how Jesus works. Because my understanding about Jesus has grown over time. As I would hope it would be for many of us. I don't want to be stuck with my version of Jesus that I learned as a kid. Or perhaps even recently, but I want to continue to be on a journey with him. How is it that he will open my mind up to what he wants to say to me this week and beyond? Much like the day I got married, I was a husband, but I wasn't the best version of a husband, right? Like it's going to take a long time to get better at being a husband. It's going to take a long time for us to walk with Jesus to begin to figure out how we have relationship with him. So as I encounter this story and I look at it, I'm amazed at how he works because he does not work like me, and he may not even work like you. When I first heard the story about Jesus years and years and years ago, I just assumed it was so easy for him because he's like Jesus, right? Every right answer in the in you know in. And what's happening next door with our kids' ministry and youth ministry, some students and kids might be like, I guess the right answer is Jesus. It's supposed to be. It's what you're supposed to say. Like, you know, kids get messed up because of that kind of thing. But we think about Jesus, and it's always supposed to be easy for him. But was it really? I even had this misperception about Jesus that when he woke up every single day, I don't know if you've had this vision about who Jesus is when he wakes up. You have your routine. I have my routine. What was Jesus' routine? Was it coffee? Probably not. Was he addicted to Starbucks like you and me? Maybe not. What was his thing? When he he woke up to the day, did he have in his mind where he was going? Some scholars would say yes. Some would say maybe not. Then my next question is, when Jesus woke up to every single day, did he know who he would encounter? And some people are like, well, he's God's son. He knows everything, right? Right. But when we read this, it seems as though he is actually surprised by who he meets. So he's available for the people who come across his path. And I'm taken by that because I wonder if 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 my life, if I'm committed to Jesus and I'm trying in my best and earnest way possible to begin to look a little bit more like him every single year of my life, then I want to consider how is it that he goes through life that's differently than me. And for me... I wake up in the morning. I look at my week. I know what this week looks like, and I know what next week's look like. And I know, like, if there's a running joke in our team, like, you pretty much mention a date on the calendar, and I know what Sunday is nearby, because that's how I think you would expect. Like, a pastor is supposed to know his or her Sundays, and I know them. I know how it works. But I have things lined up, and I have things in my calendar. I don't know if you're like this, if you have to do lists. If you have your calendar full and you feel good about it or you might feel stressed about it, but you know exactly where you're going to meet and have you ever had that occurrence where someone has messed up your schedule or messed up your timeline and you become not kind? I don't know if you've done this before or if you've gotten mad, you've just like, stop it, like, you know, when the. Kids do something, when other people do something, when someone calls you and say, hey, can you help me? And they're like, it'll take five minutes, and five minutes turned into five hours, and nothing got done on my day. So I wonder, when Jesus woke up, did he know who he would encounter? And I want to believe, and I see the evidence, that even though he is as much divine as anything else, he is God, he is God's son, but he is also living by the constraints of humanity. If God is going to be willing to send his son to earth, to be born in Bethlehem, the stories we celebrate at Christmas, if he's going to die the death on the cross, the stories that we celebrate at Easter, if he's going to live for a certain period of time to show us what God looks like, then apparently we get a glimpse of Jesus who is available to interruptions. That's what we get in this story, this mark and sandwich where he puts two stories together, the story of Jairus' daughter, and the story of the woman who has been bleeding. There's a couple numbers that you should take, play, take, take note of in this story, 12, 12, and six. 12-year-old girl is on her deathbed, Jairus' daughter. The next number 12 is the number of years that the lady has been plagued with the issue of bleeding. And then six over here is the number of people that Jesus lets into the room to watch the healing of the little girl. 12-12-6, just keep those in your mind. Jairus, the synagogue leader, would have been esteemed in the city. When he walked by, people noticed that he was dressed to serve at the synagogue, perhaps wore the tassels that would have been customary for every person who led at the synagogue he probably walked by, and the crowd parted. That's who Jairus was. But Jairus, much like other synagogue leaders around that area, around Capernaum, around the area of the Sea of Galilee, had heard stories about Jesus, and they're wondering if it's for real. And many of the synagogue leaders, as you know the story, as you've read and opened up the New Testament, know that some of them put Jesus at bay and we're like, I don't want to deal with this because he's messing up our understanding of how things are supposed to work because as good Jewish people, we have things in a box and we understand how God has chosen us. We're the good ones and eventually we're going to be led into God's final opportunity to bring us to the promised land. That's what the good Jewish people knew at the time. But Jairus was so desperate The desperation that you only have when your kid is sick. Some of you have been around people who've had this moment. The desperation that you have when you are at your wits end and you were willing to do anything. And so he hears that Jesus is nearby and he is making a beeline right to Jesus saying, and he falls at his feet and he proclaims, my daughter is sick and dying. Can you heal her? And Jesus okay with the interruption, decides to go with him. But as he's going, he encounters another number 12, and it's the lady who's been suffering for 12 years. And unlike Jairus, Jairus, she would not have been welcomed in the community because of the issue of bleeding. It made her what they term in Old Testament terminology, unclean. And when you are unclean in that mode, you are not able to participate in the life of the community. So can you imagine for 12 years being shunned, constantly put at bay, constantly pushed out of community. And for her, she is desperate. She spent all the money she can. She's gone to every doctor known in her community, her village and beyond. And nothing, nothing has helped. But she too hears that Jesus is on the prowl. Jesus is walking around town. I wonder for her if she probably put on a different set of clothes or perhaps a baggier sweatshirt so she wouldn't be noticed, perhaps the hoodie that covered up some of the things because everyone knew who she was. You cannot live in that area and not know the lady for 12 years who's not able to participate in the life of the community because of her issue. And in her desperation, she goes and says to herself, I don't want to be noticed, but if I just touch What even some old translators would say, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be saved. And so she pushes through the crowd. And again, if you come in contact with someone who is unclean, and there's many reasons to be unclean, not just her reason. Another reason to be unclean is to go touch a dead person, and Jesus is about to go do that. You get ostracized. You get kicked out of the community for a time until you can be clean again to come back in. She is desperate. She comes and says, if I just touch I'll be healed, and she senses it, and then Jesus says, who touched me, and you're like, Jesus, don't you know the answer, you're Jesus, but apparently, Jesus is okay with another interruption, you know who probably wasn't okay with the interruption, Jairus, Jairus is walking with Jesus, Jesus stops, and Jairus is like, let's not stop, we have somewhere to go, let's get back on the road, and he stops and says, who touched me, the disciples snicker to themselves, they whisper, He's lost it. You've been in a crowd? Anybody, you've been in a crowd before? You wonder, I mean, you've been in either the concert scene, you've been in a scene where you're trying to, like, get ready to go into something, and there's, like, crazy crowd. I remember, I think I've told a story here at Refuge before, that when I was turning, uh, I, was, I hadn't turned 21 yet, but it was at, when I, right at the stroke of midnight going from 2000 to 2001, the brainchild idea that a bunch of friends and I had was to go to Vegas. Whatever, judge me. Um, we went to Vegas. We decided to park our car where it was free because we're college students, and we walked the strip. You know what that's called? We walked the strip. Some of you have been there. I know some of you have been there. I've heard and I've seen. Um, and then, we at the stroke of midnight, all the fireworks go off, and we decided to walk back to our car, but the distance was about uh, maybe a mile, and it took us three hours because the crowd. And everybody is trying to like propose to everybody. And you're like watching this, you're taking pictures, but you can't, you, you're just like shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's on the street. You just, this is the moment that I sense is happening when Jesus is like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? Everybody's here because they've heard that you're coming and they're walking with you. They see you turn with Jairus because you want to go heal his daughter. And you say, who touched me? But he knew and he looked. And you know what he did for that lady? didn't just heal her physically he healed her emotionally and mentally and he healed her in the community that she was a part of because she got new standing because she had been healed she had been welcomed back into a lost community that for 12 years had pushed her out i don't know if you've ever felt that before if you felt like i don't think god wants anything to do with me because of my past and just a touch will bring you back into communion and relationship with him. So as the story continues, they go to Jairus' house, and the word comes, your daughter's died, don't bother this guy anymore. And Jesus says, just have faith. they continue to go, and we hear in the story that there are wailers and mourners there, because back then, you would even hire people to come wail and mourn with you. Because even then they knew that you need to go through grief when someone has died. But Jesus shows up into the house, and he's like, she's not dead, she's just asleep. It's like the crazy statement that he said just a few moments ago. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples and everyone in the house are like, are you crazy? She's not asleep, she's dead. And then he kicks everybody out, and I have the vision of the moment where we hear the story of Jesus going to the temple, and he's ticked, I almost said pissed, he's ticked. And I did. Look at that. I did. He's so ticked that he kicks, kicks over the tables and he's really mad. He's like, get out of here. She's not dead. And he takes his three friends, Peter, James, and John, takes the parents, goes into the room. There are six of them with the little girl. And he holds her hand and says, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic. It's not Greek. Most of the New Testament's written in Greek. But Aramaic would have been The language of the day that would have been really in the vernacular of everyone's time. And the reason Mark includes the Aramaic and not the Greek is because it was so powerful. What he said that day was for her to get up. And she does. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. And I'm amazed at Jesus' generosity. This story, this Mark and Sandwich storyline, is all about the generosity of God who is okay with interruptions. I don't know if you're like me, but I get ticked off when I'm interrupted. I get mad. I get like, I have something to do today, and I didn't get it done because I got interrupted. And I think there are moments for us where God's saying, would you consider the interruptions as actually the place that I need you to be? So for those of you going to camp this week, you're going to be interrupted. This week alone is an interruption. It's an interruption to say, I'm going to go to camp and not just choose my summer. But for everybody in this room, everybody watching online, we've all been interrupted, and we've wondered, why in the world is this happening to me? Is the world closing in around me? Does the world hate me? Is there even a God? And God says, watch for what I can do even in the interruption. The world would say, you get frustrated. You should get frustrated. You should get mad. You should begin to order your day better so you don't get interruptions. But apparently, Jesus is okay with it. Because Jesus is generous with his time. And if I want to look like Jesus, if I want to continue to be on mission and journey with him, I want to continue to be generous with my time. So I don't know about you. That's, that's a challenge going into this week and beyond. The challenge is, where will I allow God to use me where he wants me? Because I've also been guilty of something. Of saying things like, God, why don't you fix that situation? Why don't you do something about that? And there are moments where I hear the voice come back to me and say, well, Brenton, I have you there. Are you okay with being interrupted and seeing what I can do through you to bring healing and hope to that situation? And I know... Some of your stories, I don't know all of them, but sometimes we're really good at just sticking to our own plan and not being available for what God would do. And my challenge for you as you head into this week, would you have your eyes open? Would you have your ears open to be available for where God is taking you? Because the people he puts on your path are not interruptions. The people he puts on your path are exactly where he wants you to be. So may this story challenge you like it has challenged me this week. Beyond just the beautiful things of knowing things like marking sandwiches, which is a crazy phrase. But we get an opportunity to see Jesus at work. And as Jesus is welcoming us into his life and into his kingdom, he wants us to be available in the same exact way. So let's pray. God, there's not a person in this room or watching online who hasn't felt the burden of interruption, where we can't get our things done because something has taken our attention away or takes our time away. And some of us are yearning for more time. We all get the same amount. The question is: Is how do we go into it? How do we think about it when we're interrupted? May each of us have the opportunity to respond much like your son did on those days when he was hit with with the storyline of Jairus' daughter and hit with the storyline of the woman who needed desperate healing. And some of us, we take ourselves off the bench and think we can't possibly play for your team because we don't have the power that you have, but you have given us your power as your followers. You have instilled in us the power of the Holy Spirit so that as we go, wherever we walk, we bring good news and hope by the words that we say and the actions that we do. May we show you off this week. May we bring people closer to you. May we even be willing to be brought closer to you you ourselves and to be interrupted over and over and over again. Because in the interruptions is where the miracles happen. And we all have eyes to see that this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you
0: stand? Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.